Welcome to the Impact Investing Podcast from Circa 5000. I'm Matt Latham. And I'm Tommy Gillicuddy. Remember, nothing in this podcast is financial advice, and when investing, your capital is at risk. Enjoy the episode. Hi, everyone. We're back with another episode of the Impact Investing Podcast. And Tom, this week, we're talking about your (laughs) hobbies, animal testing and mining. Just the weekend. But before that, we'll come to... Uh, Tom's Admin Corner. <laughs> I think you have to sing your own jingle as well. We have to work on a jingle. We'll make one. <laughs> admin Corner. There you go. That's done. Um, admin Corner. Uh, so keep the questions coming in. We've got a lot coming in. Um, podcast at circa5000.com. We'll do our best to answer them in future episodes. Um, a question is part of today's episode as well. Um, please listen on Spotify, Apple, like, subscribe, share with your friends and watch videos on YouTube, where I've been told I fidget too much. So I'm going to try and stop. I blame that on a lot of the caffeine that we have before. Who told things. you that? It, was, it might have been my fiancé. All right, okay. Um, yeah. But I'm going to try and stop. Um, and chart news. Big, big week in the charts this massive, week. Massive. Um, we are, uh, we, we were, I think we've fallen out again, but we were in the UK charts, our home nation. Thank you very much, temporarily. Uh, in the charts of the Netherlands in Hong Kong, and in Brazil, which I think is the first time we've been in the and Brazilian. Netherlands is the first time. I, I think, think the Netherlands is the first time. I think we were in Hong Kong before, but really global, a global reach. A global A, a global audience. appeal. Absolutely. Uh, people like here in two Northern. A minuscule appeal <laughs> spread across yeah, the yeah. entire globe. Very thinly <laughs> appealing to every nation of the world. No Chile and Latvia news, which kind of proves a theory that we're, we're, we're kind of popular for a few weeks in countries that everyone gets annoyed and moves on. Um and so, yeah, there we go. Chart news. Uh, competition, Tom? I think we're still doing competition. We're still uh, doing one, the pension one, I think. Yeah, pension. So, uh, again, I'll copy the link of the of the terms. Terms and conditions always apply. There's no such thing as a free lunch in this world, Tom. <laughs> no. Um, but chance to win 20,800 British pounds mm. if you open a pension account with Circa 5,000. Uh, and transfer an old pension to your new Circa 5000 pension account. Mm. So, um, yeah, the, the you have till the end of May to start that process, I think. 2023. Open the account. 2023. <laughs> um, and then uh, everyone who's completed the entry criteria will be put into a draw and a winner will be selected at random uh, to win the £20,800 uh, the amount twenty thousand eight hundred is because that is what is deemed to be um, a sort of base level mm. for uh, a semi-healthy retirement. Yeah, uh, in one year, one twenty thousand pounds. Yeah, twenty thousand eight hundred. Okay, so Tom, um, animal testing. Let's dive into animal <laughs> testing. Um, so there's an article this week that we spotted, which was uh, titled "Animal Testing ESG Funds Blind Spot." Um, so leading sustainable businesses such as Unilever, Estee Lauder, L'Oreal face regulatory obstacles in China, exposing many ESG funds to animal testing. Um, and so I think this, th- there's a few things at play here. Um, bit of context is there is a, there's a current EU blanket ban on, on testing for cosme- cosmetic purposes, animal testing, um, with the suggestion that some of the newer technologies that are available, like in vitro testing and computer modeling, will finally come to the fore and replace animal testing altogether. And so 
it, it corresponds at the same time a lot of investors who are ethically sustainably impact minded obviously try and screen out animal testing completely um or as much as possible um and companies like unilever specifically in that list of those three that we just said unilever uh estee lauder and l'oreal Unilever, Unilever are seen as and have presented themselves as like this sustainability ethical champion through history. They're like an ESG fund darling, you know, the, the, the way they approach things. And they've taken a strong stance against animal testing in the past. However, <clears throat> concerns have been highlighted that, that Unilever specifically are outsourcing animal testing. So in a similar way that Nike has, has, has had, you know, um, allegations uh, aimed at it in the past about the labor practices down its supply chain, it always says, well, they're not ours. Yeah. It's a third party that they happen to work with. The claim is that Unilever are doing the same thing. In order to sell certain products into countries like China, where animal testing is still a requirement um, for certain things. So in 2021, China passed regulation enabling companies to sell products that haven't been animal tested, but these are general cosmetics, special use cosmetics things that you use, Matt, yep. hair dye, hair growth products, yep. hair removal, deodorants, yep. these still require animal testing in order to be sold into China. And so Unilever and companies like it, in order to kind of get around this and still sell the products into a massive market, which is China, are using these third-party animal testing um, companies outsourcing that element and then still selling their products into into the Chinese mainland. Yeah, I mean, I think it comes under one of these things where there's there's what, companies will consider falls under ESG mm. from their own yeah. internal policies and, and the way that they look at their own business. And then there's what falls under ESG from through the eyes of an investor. Yeah. And as we look at ESG as like a risk framework, which yeah. we've talked about now on multiple episodes, mm. you're basically saying, is there a risk here? Is there a regulatory risk to this company from not complying with something that falls under yeah. uh, one of the ESG risk measures. And what you would say here is strictly, well, what you're saying is that it is requ- it is a requirement of the Chinese government yeah. that you test certain products on animals in order to, for them to be able to be sold mm. in that jurisdiction. Yeah. So if you're a shareholder, yeah. talking purely from a monetary point of view here and a risk point of view, you want a company selling cosmetics to sell into one of the biggest markets in the world, which yep. is China. Yep. And you don't want a risk that those products get pulled or banned yep. from that market if they're not complying with all the local regulation. Yeah. So from a risk point of view, you would say that this practice de-risks that investment yep. largely, yep. Yep. and therefore it shouldn't really be a, a, a major concern. Yeah. Now, the trouble is with, with issues such as animal testing and others is that if you have an investor that from a moral and ethical point of view does not want anything they any company they invest in to be exposed to any form of animal mm. testing you know if it's a, if it's meant to be a vegan certified um, investment portfolio or if it's someone you know if it's an animal rights charity for example or it's someone who just holds that personal yeah. view then there has to be an absolute position on it yeah but does it but the headline of this article is yeah exposing esg funds to animal mm. testing well there's no automatic conclusion no. that animal testing should be removed from an ESG portfolio. Yeah. Just because something's ESG doesn't mean that it's animal cruelty free. That's yeah, not yeah. that's not what we're talking about. And yeah. again, it's this blurring of what someone's ethical screen might be mm. versus what an investor looking through an ESG lens would 
consider to be a risk on yeah. a particular investment. Yeah. It's, I think it's, I think it's, it's, a, it's another ESG watch example, but perhaps yeah. less clear on the surface because I think people will go, ah, the risk is the opposite way around to how you've just talked about it. Yeah. The risk is that they get found out for doing this and that's some negatives to stock prices in one way, but it's actually not. It's the opposite. Is that The risk is that they can't sell into the Chinese market. So it's important to remember that ESG rules basically nothing out on ethical grounds because it's not an ethical assessment. Yeah. What they're actually thinking about here is that this is more like a, if an article was talking about ethical or social responsible investing, which historically has been the screen out form of investing, yeah. and the screen out form of investing has found out that some of the things are finding their way in somehow, that would be something that would be yeah. unearthing something that probably shouldn't happen. But really, they're just describing ESG and how it how it is used in actual practice. Um, and there's no real major got you moment here. It's just like, oh... The, 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 the thing that it makes you realise is that even Citywide and the people who write this article don't actually understand what ESG is themselves. Yeah. I mean, it's also like if you think about just practically here, is if you're a firm like Unilever <clears throat> and one jurisdiction that you sell in requires you to have a specific test done in order to get certification for your products in that jurisdiction, are you going to in-house that or outsource it? Yeah. It's, it's more like a standard business practice that they outsource. Yeah. Now, the thing is, as well, that might happen, and where you might, this is where you maybe get confusion as to what ESG funds should, shouldn't contain, etc. Is that often you'll find, or, or not, maybe not majority of cases, but sometimes you'll find that where there's an ESG methodology or where there's an ESG process within a fund or a portfolio, that there'll sometimes be an overlay of a. Mm. An ethical screen. Yeah, there'll be no arms. There'll be no, uh, you know. Sometimes it'll be animal testing, animal cruelty. Yeah. Sometimes, uh, you know, fossil fuels, nuclear. These are the types of things yeah. that sometimes people will just say, right? Well, we want the ESG framework applied to all of the investments, and we want an outright yeah. screening out of these things. No tobacco products. These type of things. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that. That that always has to be the case. No. Sometimes an ethical screen or a or a negative screen, as you might call it, sometimes mm. will sit alongside an ESG risk framework. Not necessarily always, and yeah. not you know want, and they can both sit independently of each other as well. Yeah, you could have a, an ethical screened fund, which are less popular now, which screen, hard screened out all of the things from a moral basis. Didn't do any ESG assessment. Didn't assess any of the risks of of yeah. what that. What, what the companies have in there so yeah yeah it's complicated it's all like fund labeling again isn't it like that in the article they mentioned some some funds that are labeled sustainable some that are labeled esg some that are labeled ethical that then have these exposures and but the article's all about esg and there was there was one where a, a kind of a fund was defending itself and saying that the fund seeks to avoid companies that derive 10 percent or more of their revenues from the provision of animal testing services or involvement in it for non-essential purposes so it's kind of like well they only do a little bit it's quite a high threshold, though, if you think about it as yeah. well. Because on that basis, the, the fund seeks to avoid companies that derive 10% or more of revenues from the provision of animal yeah, testing. Yeah. Well, Unilever is not an animal testing company. No, no, no. So, you know, that, that's not that's not there. Yeah. And then services or involvement in it for non-essential purposes. Well, again, if you want to sell in China certain yeah. products, it's, it is an essential yeah. service. So 10% is also quite a high threshold. Mm. Yeah. You know, I imagine that, these products that they're selling in China a minor amount, are yeah. not more than 10%. No. And it wouldn't even, even if it was more than 10%, it still wouldn't hit this hit this definition. So yeah. I think, you know, if you go from an, an impact assessment point of view, something like this may come up, but it yeah. would be from a, it would be uh, as a as a potential 
negative impact. Yeah. But you would then look at it, look at the company in the whole yeah. and say, yeah. you know, what would be the overall positive or negative impact of a of this company? Yeah. You know, when you look at it just on a on a on you know on a standalone basis. So yeah, it's an interesting one. I think I think the thing is with animal testing is it, it is a it's an emotive yeah. subject. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're if you're you know I think very few people probably think animal cruelty is a great idea. No. Um but if you're an absolutist on it from an investment point of view, it is very, very difficult to how far down the supply yeah. chain you go, yeah. how do you manage it out? Um and you know, just picking an ESG fund no. definitely doesn't yeah. say that you're gonna screen out. Uh, if, yeah, if you're looking to avoid it, say you're say you're you're a vegan and you want to in, you want to invest in, you know, only vegan friendly um funds, you can't rely on the label of the fund. No. You can't even fully rely on just what the top five or the top ten holdings look like. You're gonna have to do a little bit more digging into what the funding includes and excludes. You can't even go off a off a, a, a rating of you know a highly rated in no. a company in that because no. you know, in this example, you could look at you could look at the companies involved and you know, as much publicly available information as there absolutely was, yeah. you'd have to go a few layers deeper to find that find this, basically. Yeah. So very hard. Yeah. Well thinking about um, how companies should be uh, analysed holistically. And, and digging deeper. And digging deeper into the Earth's core. <laughs> the second part is, a, is, is inspired by a question this week. Can mining be impactful and ethical? And the question um, from one of our listeners was, as the world transitions from burning stuff to, elect- to electrify everything, there is growing demand for minerals such as lithium, copper, nickel, cobalt and graphite. What would a circa 5,000 mining fund look like? And how would you assess mining companies from an impact and ethical perspective i think it's a fantastic question we've talked about it we talked about it a little bit did we well we talked about mining we talked about cobalt and <laughs> oh, mining no, companies about... <laughs> no we did talk about building my, our own impact fund my my, my, my memory fund. is failing me again yeah, you know the side mining fund we we're developing um so yeah maybe not a fund that we'd, we'd ever build if there were, but maybe there could be some companies that maybe qualify for like a segment of a fund that we build. But I think the, the thing with mining is, and this is what we what we talked about um, when we were discussing cobalt and electric vehicles was it's a bit of an inconvenient truth for the yeah. transition to renewables is the need for more minerals and rare earth, me- uh, earth metals. Easy for you to say. <laughs> I couldn't get that out, could I? <laughs> um, something about my voice, the Wigan accent, couldn't do it. Um, rare earth metals like... The the demand is the demand for them is huge. It's only getting bigger, um, but at the same time, most mining companies have uh, at least questionable track records when it comes to things like workers' rights conditions for workers. Obviously, the environmental externalities of what they do. When we talked about cobalt uh, mining, specifically last, last, specifically last time, I couldn't say that either. <laughs> You've been drinking too much caffeine today. That's what it is. Um, which is all concentrated in the Congo. That that video that we that we um, mentioned that involves some of the worst conditions I've ever. Yeah. Anything. Yeah. But it's, it's. I think it's an interesting mental exercise. To think about what good could look like, and how we would perhaps think about a company or set of companies. You know, um, when it comes to mining, I think the way we'd look at them is the way we look at every single company. Yeah. Um, but with some spe- specifics for mining, you look at the positive impacts, the negative impacts that the company has, and what it's doing to mitigate them, because every company has some negative impacts, and then the the, the governance of the company uh, as well, and, and how well the company's run. Um. The positive impact, I've never really thought about it like this before because I think it's really hard to look at a company, a mining company's revenue and say 100% comes from, say, cobalt. Yeah, That's not only going to electric vehicles and renewable energy. 
So you'd have to do an assessment of that revenue and where that revenue is going yeah. to assess whether you think it was genuinely linked to a positive um, a positive outcome. Let's pretend that that's the case. You could pretend that a company only has 100% of the revenue from from one specific you know uh, uh, element like cobalt and then it goes to uh, just battery technology and, and electric vehicles. Yeah. Then there's just a whole raft of negative impacts of mining yeah. companies that would need some mitigation, levels of mitigation that I don't think um, are happening in any mining company in the world at the moment or could perhaps ever happen to a degree that would mean that there's a net positive impact, but there's a lot of potential negative things to talk about. Yeah, and I suppose it's, it's you know, there's this idealistic view, isn't there, that you could, you know... And maybe we're guilty of this ourselves to a degree that yeah. you know you screen certain sectors out, and therefore they don't exist yeah, for, yeah, yeah. for you from a from an investment point of view. Yeah. You know the reality is is we're sat here with you know phone each, laptop each on the desk. Yeah. We've got lithium batteries. We've got at least four or five lithium batteries yeah. on the table. Here. Yeah. Um, you know we're using that technology. The, the fact is is that if you live in a developed economy, even in a, even in emerging economies, you know. The demand for these things is absolutely huge. Yeah, you can you can use the end result for good or for bad. Yeah, but you know just to just to screen out and say, well, you know we don't like that. No, it's it's sort of it's a little bit ostrichy. I mean, it I'm, is, I'm, yeah. I'm you know I'm 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 pointing the pointing the camera firmly at ourselves here. Yeah, um, you know the other alternative way is that you invest in these companies and you yeah. you try and um, campaign for improved practices yeah there is a lot of good argument for that um you know but it has to be done in a very consistent considered way and i think you know we talked about we talked about uh you know the shareholders of of bp and shell going attacking management at Mm. shareholder conferences to try and get them to uh, accelerate transition uh to 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 green energy rather than rather than fossil fuels um you know, maybe maybe similar campaigns are needed in the mining industry in terms of workers' rights yeah. and and uh, you know how how to reduce like exploitive practices in 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 this you know in the global demand for these these minerals. But yeah. it's it's a really tough topic because global economy is hooked on all this stuff. Yeah. It's hooked on it's hooked on commodities, and uh, you know ultimately the price is derived from. How, who's going to dig them out the ground yeah. and how are they going to enter the supply chain and be processed? Yeah. The, the, it highlights that the, the, there's two very legitimate sides of impact investing. There's the kind of thing that, that that we do, which is we're looking at companies, analyzing the positives, the negatives, the governance, and then effectively investing in the best net positive companies yeah. in the world. The other side is what you highlight, which is you invest in companies that, that aren't there but that you can then work with to get them to a spot where they are as good as they possibly can be given the sector that they're in. Yeah. Now, we haven't done that in the past. We, were, we did the first one that I mentioned. And a lot of people use the, the, the idea of the second one for just greenwashing and never – it just is an excuse to invest in whatever, say yeah. they've done some stuff. It's That's, an excuse to carry on holding the, carry on doing whatever the shares of a company yeah. that they just want to hold and they exactly. say, yeah, we'll campaign, but do they ever really yeah. do it? It's the worst of like the ESG greenwashing that we've, that we've seen. However, it's very legitimate practice when it's done properly and so maybe that's the way to think about impact company uh, mining companies is there could be positive impact from the revenue there's negative impacts we've mentioned a few you know worker conditions deforestation displacement of communities water usage carbon emissions etc if there's plans in place to mitigate all those to the to the best possible degree they can 
coupled that with much better transparency on governance. Um, and I've never actually looked at a mining company in any great detail before because I've been guilty of what you just said, which is they don't qualify. Just exclude, yeah. But maybe management incentives around safety, environmental targets, you know, all those things, you know, the, the negative impacts, you could have management tied to outcomes on on that as well as outcomes on revenue and, yeah. and the positive impact. And then maybe you could get these companies to a point where there is a place for them in the second type of strategy, yeah. which is investing in, in companies that we need to invest in in order to transition the world, but trying to get them to as best possible place as they can be, knowing that maybe they'll never get to the point of being one of the impact darlings, which the clear, obvious net positive impact. But that's not to say that by getting them from you know ten, you know five out of ten to seven out of ten, it doesn't have a massive impact as yeah. well on the world because it definitely does. What about something like a coal miner? A coal miner. Well, I think this falls into the argument. So I, we actually, this is in a, in a previous job that I had, there was a company that we looked at where 90% of the revenue was from, um, I think it was solar energy, I think it was in Brazil, and 10% of it was from coal mining. And it was in a rural area of Brazil where the, where that coal miner um, basically employed everyone in the town, um, made sure that town had you know, electricity, X, Y, and Z. And historically on that fund, there was a red line on coal, but it caused a massive debate about yeah. whether we should have some coal exposure for specific reasons, given the totality of the company and everything that's involved. And so it's not as black and white as you perhaps might think yeah. because of all those other factors. Um, maybe it will never, ever get to a point of being in the in the net positive impact bucket, but we're going to be we're going to be using coal and a lot of the world needs coal, coal to be used for the foreseeable future. Yeah. And so whilst it's being used, does that other side of impact not have a responsibility to engage and make those companies as best, best they possibly can yeah, be? The other argument is, is if, if you don't have shareholders that are activist or active in, in helping companies, you know, score better on these things, yeah. uh, who fills the gap? Yeah, exactly. People that don't care. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's a re- the point is we we didn't want to give the answer on either of these topics really particularly. The point is is this is why there is room for a confusion around yeah. what terms like ESG means, which we've done you know we've done multiple times, but also just you know how how do we deal with some of these yeah. problematic things? They're not they're not clear cut. No, it can't just be you know there's a place for exclusion. There's mm-hmm. a place for inclusion. Yeah. There's a place for activism, etc. It's just, yeah, it's just very hard to get it right. It's very um, hard to get it right, and it's just like we said, you can be very, very careful if the asset manager, fund manager, is actually doing this in practice, because yeah. it's so easy to say, yeah, we're, yeah, yeah, we invest in all these companies, but we're, we're speaking to them. What's yeah. the result of that? What's the plan if they don't engage? What's the what if? What's yeah. the ultimatum? And none of them really have a what, a what if ultimatum. I think if we were ever to do something like this in the future ourselves you know, the, the two sides of impact. Well, we're already engaging with the positive companies. We would do it to, you know, times 10 to the, to the negative. Yeah. But it's something that you, the, the only people that have true scale or yeah. true reach in voice can do properly. Yeah. So small asset managers who are not really doing anything, saying they're doing this, that's kind of like just playing lip service to yeah, it. I mean, obviously it's much, yeah, what you, what you mean by what you've just said there is, obviously if you are a company that owns 5, 10, 15, well, probably 5 to 10% of these companies, you know, which is a huge holding in the listed world. If you're a, if you're a, if you're a, you know, significant percentage holder of these companies, it's much easier for you to assert your authority as a shareholder. Yeah. The other option is, is if you have a big community, yes. if you have a, yeah. if you have a, a voice 
that can, you know, create negative press, can create negative noise, can, can yeah. put pressure on a company just by weight of yeah. opinion. Exactly, you know, yeah. if you have a community of a million people or yeah. two million or three million or whatever it might be, that's a way you can do it as yeah. well. So, you know, there, and we've seen examples of both of those. You've yeah. seen examples where big shareholders have put pressure on just by weight of their shareholder vote. Mm-hmm. And you've seen examples where small companies have taken up a campaign mm. or, or not, maybe they're not even investors in the company, they're just campaigners have yeah. taken up a campaign and got big companies to change something. Yeah. And you can do both. So yeah. yeah, it's an interesting topic. I'm sure it's one we'll come back to. Absolutely. Um, but perhaps a good place to wrap up some. Absolutely. Thank Thanks you for listening, everyone. everyone. Bye-bye. Impact Investing from Circa 5000. Thank you for listening to Impact Investing, a podcast brought to you by Circa 5000. Remember, when investing, your capital is at risk, and this podcast is not financial advice. If you like what you hear, then please remember to like, subscribe, and share the podcast.